Welcome to the New and Chess podcast, the podcast to enjoy the best game ever. I'm Dejan Ten Kreuzendam, but feel free to call me DJ. In this episode of DJ Talks, my guest is Peter Svitler, one of the most versatile grandmasters in the world. Uh, summarizing Peter's career as a player is almost impossible, but let's name some highlights. He's a three-time candidate for the World Championship, an eight-time champion of Russia, and a World Cup winner. He also won five gold team medals at the Olympiad, and, well, there's much more. Peter is also one of the most popular and loved chess commentators in the world, not only because of his fast chess expertise, but also for his wide knowledge in other areas, from music to literature, from TV series to cricket, and let's not forget his passion for Hearthstone. On the eve of the Tata Steel Tournament in Wagonsee, Peter has accepted my invitation to talk about the 86th edition of this unique chess festival that begins on the 13th of January. Peter, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, that's, my pleasure. That's wonderful. How are you doing? Well, doing okay. It's uh, we, this this period is uh, is a very slow period where I am and. Uh, which is good. I mean, sometimes slow is just what is needed. So plenty of dog walks and. All right. Yeah. Well, you you divide your time between playing and, and commentating. Uh, how is the hierarchy these days for you? I mean, is is there some cross fertilization? How, how does it work? Because at at some point you also get the feeling that uh, thanks to the commentating, there is this hunger to return to the board now and then and, and the eagerness helps yeah i think uh, i mean i began doing commentary somewhat seriously like i did some things my very very first stint of commentating was actually when i was still typing in chat i did games from three to six of the Khalif Manakopian match in las vegas in 99 for icc when it was entirely text-based they basically gave you a board, they allowed you to make moves on that board, and you would type in chat explaining things that you felt needed explaining. Uh, so if you can't that, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for you know a quarter of a century now. But uh, serious forays into uh, commentary as we know it these days, I think uh, they date back to maybe 2013, 2014, when I got to do it somewhat somewhat more structuredly, uh, that's not a word. Uh, and uh, starting, I guess, with uh, commentating on the second Carlson Annen match in Sochi. For me, it, it, it always felt like it was just very enjoyable. It was, it gave me an outlet to, you know, talk about the game I love and to cover the events that I would have been watching nonstop anyway. And it also, provided me with a reasonably easy source of uh you know keeping uh keeping fresh and keeping in touch with the game so that aspect of it the uh sort of the renewed hunger to play it was always there the commentary always fed into that because it sort of uh, re reinforced my my connection to the game but, but let's say you you were not the only one who was doing that but in your case, I very quickly had the idea that you were very serious about it. I mean, you really wanted to do this well, and you didn't just see it as something that you did on the side. It was a serious thing. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I was probably the, the the first. And these days, I mean, almost every top player has at least tried this uh, to a degree. But I was maybe the first top player, and I definitely was still a top player in, let's say, 2013, 2014, uh, who, yeah, approached it as, as something that is not just a side gig, not just a one-off. I was very fortunate uh, with the, uh, uh, the people I went to, went to it with. Uh, I think doing chess commentary uh, without a, a partner is... Uh, I, some people I know and respect have done it and have done it for years and appear to still be sane somehow. But I don't think this would have worked out nearly as well for me. But uh, the the early partnership with with Jan Gustafsson, which I think was, you know, played a, an absolutely integral part in me deciding for myself that this is something I want to do more of because of just how enjoyable it was on absolutely every level. 
Did you also enjoy the fact? Sorry, did you also enjoy the fact that it, it's not only chess technical, but that you can include so many other things that that yeah. will have your interest? It, it's yeah. funny. I, I was looking back, Peter, at the first time that we had an official interview, and that was in '97 uh, mm. in in Novgorod. So you you had just won the Russian championship for the third time. There was this tournament in Novgorod where mm-hmm. Sparov and, and Kramnik, they were fighting for first, and, and you, you dropped by. And then we agreed to do an interview, but the terms were that we were not going to speak about chess, we were going to speak about <laughs> music. And, and, and I thought, okay, yeah, that's how it started. And uh, Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know if I will be on screen when you're reading out your introduction, but I was kind of giggling to myself a little bit when you were reading it out, because some parts of it are... At least the beginnings of uh, of things which influenced my life greatly were your influence. Mm. Uh, you know, you introduced me to some things which I still very much things are the things I treasure and return to. Uh, you know, twenty five more than twenty five years later. So, mm. uh, you know, Martin Amis and uh, ah, yeah. and uh, you know, I I don't partic- like Martin Amis. I feel I'm on very safe ground. If I if I also start saying Steely Dan, people might turn the podcast off. But 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 also still it then uh so yeah i mean we've known each other for a bit well it, it, it it's funny because when i was I, I was reading bits of that interview then i thought back that uh i mean you invited me to to read terry pratchett mm. which, which was slightly lost on me but on the other end there was a lot of music that i discovered thanks to you like the, mm. the beautiful south and things like that so um but, but we should really stop dating ourselves, though. We we're doing ourselves no favors here. <laughs> no, but but it's it, in general. I, I just mean that this this um, the, the broad interest that uh, I mean that has also played a part in in, in the way you enjoyed the, the the commentary. I guess that uh, you, I mean you you want to speak to young Gustafsson about uh, TV series and I do yeah I I, I still do and uh, I sort of deeply regret that this isn't happening as regularly or frankly anymore mm-hmm. uh, uh, these days and uh, also and, and this is the, the the shift that I guess was inevitable but it's it's kind of interesting to see that I've progressed from you know being <laughs> this is such a you know, I don't like the word, but, and also it probably doesn't apply because there was nothing to disrupt. We were pioneers, not really disruptors, but we were, you know, uh, I could draw parallels with, uh, you know, the types of commentary, which in other sports would absolutely be disruptive compared to uh, what was on, on, on sort of normal screens uh, at the time, like the, I don't particularly want to go into, uh, let's say, cricket commentary and the the history of uh, like Test match sofa and guerrilla cricket and uh, and people who were uh, taking cricket commentary and taking it in uh, into very unexpected directions. But what me and Jan were doing was definitely not your you know textbook coverage of mainline events. And now I am very much doing sort of scripted commentary with ad breaks and. <laughs> and uh, often every single minute being assigned to a particular topic, which because I am working with extremely professional production teams and very, very good, both professionally and personally, co-commentators, I'm still enjoying greatly, but, you know... Uh, you you the pro- miss me at living it in... Yeah, but the, the, the progression is kind of interesting. Yeah, I've become I've become sort of the part of the mainstream now after years and years of doing whatever we pleased on air and 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 trusting that the viewers will will tolerate our you know half an hour forays into whatever whatever we decided to discuss on the day yeah well let's say that the well one of the the reasons why i contacted you was the uh, because i very much wanted to hear your views about the upcoming tata steel tournament uh, with a very interesting field, lots of things uh, happened in the, in, in the in the past years. Last year, a lot of things are going to happen this year. I mean, there are major events ahead. And um, but first, I mean, you played in Wagenzey yourself five mm-hmm. times. How how would you 
let's say, explain why I can say to someone who's never been there. Uh, because people, they, they, they know it's on the Dutch coast. It's a small place. And But what did you think whenever you were going there or after you've been there? It's, uh, it's difficult to summarize because also my experiences are kind of very similar over the years. I've never really done well. All of my results are sort of around the 50% mark. I probably finished on plus one a couple of times, but probably maybe even, yeah, I think I finished on minus one the last time I played, uh, which was 10 years after the previous one. I got this very surprising invitation from uh, Jeroen Mandenberg uh, to, to play in 2018, which <laughs> because he mentioned Hearthstone in the introduction, I will say that it was at least in part motivated by the fact that the world championship, the Hearthstone world championship was going on in Amsterdam at the time. And I figured out that I can use at least one rest day to go and watch. <laughs> which uh, you actually went there didn't you yes i absolutely did go there yeah uh so uh by that point i was you know already in the famous world uh, words of of my earliest chess idol was a bit of a chess tourist <laughs> uh but vikas you have to begin by saying that this is by far the longest standing top event in, in the world. I think all of the competition is by this point by the wayside. Linares is no more. Uh, you know, Dortmund survives in some in, in some shape or form. But, you know, the, the tournaments that form the, the backbone of the, let's say, traditional calendar when I was growing up, which, you know, you would go from... How would the year look? The year would look Vike uh, in January, then a bit of a break, then you would have Linares, then you would have Monaco, which is not a classical term. We were still very much part of the, the scenery, right? Then you would probably have, let's say, Dos Hermanos for some years. You have Madrid in May, maybe. Dortmund in the summer. You would have Tilburg in uh, in October or thereabouts. Yeah, and uh, all of those things, or many of those tournaments were, you know, long, long-standing tournaments with massive traditions behind them. And most of them are gone completely. With maybe only Dortmund still surviving in 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 some shape, and everything else apart from Wyke is gone, and Wyke is going strong without compromising on its format and on its sort of underlying structure. You know, the the, the time control is still very much classical. The field is still fourteen players. There are still the challengers, which is an extremely strong and extremely notable tournament in its own right, even if it, the Masters didn't exist. So you have to begin by saying that this is an absolutely marquee event, which is, uh, you know, it, it stands aside as a, a treasure, treasure tradition, which I hope continues for a long, long time. Uh, and then you have to come to the fact that it's it's a very small town. It's a town I like. Whenever I was there, I I enjoyed I enjoyed being there, and uh, uh, I like the food. I like the atmosphere. It sort of it, it is absolutely chess mad. Like you, you see, you see chess boards everywhere. You, you are likely to be, you know, encountering people who are the chess players are there to 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 watch the tournament. And yeah. uh, there is this fantastic atmosphere. But it's a very long, grueling tournament in which I think it's extremely, extremely important to do well. Yeah, because if you don't, if you don't do well in it, it 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 tends to drag on a little bit. It tends to to never end. Is that the length of the tournament that may explain why some players, probably you included, did less well there than they did uh, elsewhere? I don't I mean, know. There, there, there's there's uh, several of them who who just underperform in 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 what I can say. And when you were playing, I mean, otherwise your results in those years were were really good. I mean, this yeah, was I, one... it 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 didn't feel like that somehow. It, I, I never minded the 13 rounds, although maybe I wasn't in the best possible shape to actually stay focused and stay on top of the game mm -hmm. for for the entirety of it. It's, it's hard for me to judge now. I you know my memories of exactly why I didn't do well in like the late 90s, early 2000s are they're a bit uh, shaky. But it's it's a very difficult tournament. The, the only thing you can really compare it to, uh, in terms of length, in in today's world, is the candidates. There's really nothing else that approaches the level of intensity combined with the number of rounds, just the sheer number of rounds that that is anywhere near. Hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a kind of a cauldron that uh, I think. 
people should experience at least once. Like if you if you if you have ambitions of being a top chess player, I think this is an invitation you absolutely should want. Yeah. Uh, but you should you should have I think uh, a good expectation that this is different and maybe just simply more difficult yeah. than anything else else on the calendar. And one other thing that absolutely has to be mentioned is how important a role Vike plays in the debate about the general health of classical chess. Because I think you can pretty much always use Vike as an example of why there shouldn't be this much doomerism when we approach the state of current classical chess. Because when you take events, and I don't want particularly to single out Grand Chess Tour, because Grand Chess Tour is a fantastic series of tournaments. It's uh, it's very strong, it's very exciting, and in particular the the Rapid and Blitz events, which form form you know very much the backbone of uh, of the, the the GCT, are fantastic events to watch. But when you get the same people playing against each other over and over again, which used to be even more of a problem when there were more of these classical tournaments uh, in a year. But these days, it's basically Vike and the GCT, right? There's really not very much else. And Norway Chess. I mean, we shouldn't really forget Norway Chess. Norway Chess is a, a thing that has to be mentioned. There's something which wasn't there before, but is definitely there now. And uh, it's a very welcome development when a, a very strong classical tournament appears on the calendar and then doesn't disappear. And you know, long may that continue as well. Yeah. So, when the organizers are actively striving to create a round robin with like nine of the top ten players playing, sometimes you do get these very very dry tournaments where people are playing a little bit safety first, and the decisive percentage goes down, and then inevitably, you know, as somebody who is an avid reader of chats. Ever since my my commentary stints with Jan, you know, I've always been, uh, you know, whenever I can, I will have a chat open, a chat window open on my screen to be sort of at least vaguely aware of what people feel about what they're watching. Yeah. Uh, people will be kind of sharply critical of the format, and people will say that you know all of this needs to be scrapped, and we need to be playing uh, rapid only. And then you have like where. You know, it's a grueling, very long classical tournament, but every year it provides fantastic excitement because the field is a little bit more mixed. It's not a like don't, it's a. Don't you, don't you think that that is the real secret? The, the, the... Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but yeah, this is what um you know you you've you've known me for a while. You know, I I I will never use three words when I can use twenty five. So it took me a bit a bit of time to get to the point, but. It's still an incredibly tough field. Like this year we have, I can count, but like it's uh, nine of the top 16 players or eight of the top 16 players in the world, right? Half of the, half of the top 16 is present. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's an unbelievably strong field, but it also features, uh, you know, as many youngsters as possible, basically, which is these days not a big problem because many of these youngsters are also in the top 16. So inviting them doesn't really hurt your tournament in any way, shape or form. But it's always a little bit of a mixed field. And introducing this fresh blood creates this very, very exciting dynamic where, you know, every day something is happening. It's never boring. And... This is without even touching the masters and the additional story, the challengers. I mean, in the additional storylines which uh, the challengers provide. So, I think Wyke is incredibly important for you know the the, the balance of the of the ecosystem, yeah. and for you know as a continuing example that classical chess, even at the absolute top level, does not need to be you know stayed and stagnant yeah so in, in the ideal classical tournament you have many rounds and you have mixed strength would mm -hmm. that be recipe i think so yeah i yeah. think in terms of and once again uh it's extremely difficult to criticize the formula which just aims to create the strongest tournament possible mm. this has to be a valid thing organizers want 
this is not uh, this is not my you know uh, overt or covert criticism of I don't know Norway chess or GCT. It's just that if we're aiming specifically for maximizing excitement, maximizing fresh fresh experiences, and also introducing new storylines, because I think we we need new faces and we need to you know the viewers need to form. <laughs> some kind of parasocial relationships with, you know, more than the top 10. Well, you also get the feeling that, let's say, events of, as, as I can say, when a young player breaks through there, then the impact is just bigger. It, it, it's like, well, breaking through at a World Rapid or in a World Cup. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, it counts. Well, uh, so, yeah. Break- it's yeah, it's it's it's. No, no, I just wanted just once again to restate that it's always been a my my favorite event of the year to watch, and to commentate on. It's been a while since I did that, but uh, those, you know, two and a half weeks we we used to do with uh, with Gusti in Hamburg. I would go to Hamburg and we would just, you know, yeah. chill at the studio from like eleven a.m. until eleven p.m. Also doing recaps and things, and yeah. those were, you know, it it's grueling, grueling stuff, but. The tournament just makes it so enjoyable that it didn't really feel like like uh, routine work. Well, maybe there's this extra element of the start of the year. I mean, new chances, fresh hope, whatever, mm-hmm. and, uh, and going for a, for a lovely tournament. But maybe we should look at the players uh, this sure. year, Peter. Well, and first, then I think we should look at the one player who who will we, we will not see there. Magnus Carlsen, mm-hmm. he, um, he's not playing, and uh, which obviously is regrettable because this is one of his tournaments. Can you understand his the changed attitude towards classical chess in his in his case? I mean, he, he speaks openly about it and doesn't yeah. have a secret about it. No, I I began by saying that this is very much, you know, this is adjacent to how I feel about classical chess. Uh, and uh you know in my case there's also very much uh you know at least a tinge to it of knowing i will not be able to do particularly well uh which is not the case with him he perhaps has not been as dominant in classical chess as he used to be in previous years but he still you know he would begin as a very clear favorite if he played but the general feeling i get from what he's been doing ever since abdicating is that he is also very much maximizing for enjoyment. And with his record, whatever he chooses to do with the rest of his career is absolutely up to him. And it should, it should like, there is really not very much to, to, to discuss there, I feel. Um, I, I understand where he, uh, where he stands. I feel like it's a kind of a logical position because, yeah. uh, you know, he's done everything and more. There was one final trophy missing from the cabinet which he finally rectified this year by winning the world cup there is nothing else left for him to win in terms of you know just putting sort of finishing touches on on his legacy there's there's nothing left to prove so he plays the things that he enjoys and he tries to sort of live uh as as you know enjoyable and fulfilling a life as he as he can and uh, only he can tell exactly like how how this equation looks in his mind. But if it doesn't feature playing a lot of classical chess, this moment, I, I feel like I can I can relate to a degree, uh, not to the part where he you know wins everything he plays, but to the part where maybe playing shorter time controls just you know sort of brings him more joy. Yeah. Well, it's it's clear that he is free to do whatever he wants. Uh, still, there are people who say that he has a moral obligation as, as the best player in the world to play the, the world championship. Is there some point in that, you, you feel? So, yeah, I mean, moral obligation is very strong. Hmm. I don't think, you know, both things can be true at the same time, as is often the case. A, the chess world would be much healthier if he played. I think uh, the amount of interest he generates and generally his standing uh, in the chess world mean that, of course, if he wanted to still participate in the cycle, the cycle would be more exciting or at least in a way, the excitement of a much more 
open cycle is maybe great. I don't know. Excitement you can discuss, but, you know, the cycle would be more complete with him in it. Let's, you know, use, use this terminology. But also, I want to restate that I really don't think he owes the chess world anything. I think he very much paid his dues by this point. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't really buy into the, the whole, uh, the whole moral obligation narrative. Yeah. Well, one further contribution that he may be making is, uh, well, there's this one title that he didn't win yet, the 960 World Championship, and he wants to do that in classical time control. Mm -hmm. Is that something you look forward to? I mean, I, I was in Reykjavik last year, and for, for the last 960 World Championship, I, I thought it was very interesting to, to, to watch. And I, I could imagine, I mean, when I saw the, the big interest among the players, uh, genuine interest uh, of discovering this, this, this new game. And, well, you've been a fan of 960 early on. I don't know if that still holds true. but um... Absolutely does, yeah. I'm, I'm no longer... I, I don't play as often, and I used to play in the events then that the, the, the St. Louis Chess Club uh, organized as part of their uh, sort of final year bonanza. They normally coincided with the uh, Rapid and Blitz and the Sinkfield Cup, and they, I, would get, I would get an invite to that occasionally and even did kind of okay in some of them. But um, there is... My feeling is there's just not enough 960 on the calendar. I think if if we could somehow get more events in, and I think this year there will be at least one very strong event which didn't exist previously. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know if it has been, you know, properly announced, and I I don't actually know the field. I just know it's going to be very very strong, and Magnus is playing in it. I welcome it wholeheartedly. I think 960 is a very interesting, very quirky game that uh, remains kind of criminally underused. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very difficult to commentate, which is maybe part of the reason why it hasn't really caught on as much as uh, the, the usual stuff, because getting to grips with what's going on in the first five, seven, ten moves is just unbelievably difficult for anyone. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, providing good commentary for 960, I think, is extremely important because the viewers will also be very lost not really knowing how to, you know, adjust to this uh, new landscape every game. But, yeah, I, I remain I remain a huge fan, and I will be watching uh, the the events this year with a lot of interest. Yeah, well, this, this event with Magnus, that will be a bit further on, so we'll, let, let's go back to, to Tata Steel, mm -hmm. where the current classical world champion is the top seed in the, in the field. He hasn't played for many months now. He just what? played something in China, right? Which I, I saw yeah. he got to the semis, and then yeah. I kind of lost track of what's going, what happened there. Uh, so well, they, they started with the quarters where he, mm -hmm. he beat a young Chinese player, and, and then he was uh, eliminated by Wang Hao. Oh, so he actually lost to Hao in, in, in a semis, yeah? Mm. So well, there, there's nothing wrong with losing to Wang Hao. Absolutely, no, absolutely nothing. How how on a good day can beat absolutely anybody in the world? How is yeah. is a yeah? And the, the if Hao decides to return to chess, that is also a very very welcome sight because he obviously had quite reasonably well publicized uh, issues which led to him uh, not playing as much. Yeah. Well, the, the, it's it's something that uh, well, Ding Liran has also indicated that uh, he he found it very difficult to, to well to come to grips with the new world that surrounded him after becoming world champion. We saw it in in Bucharest when he played a tournament, and he said, uh, "Well, after the world championship match, it's so difficult to to well to even take this seriously." So it it, it will be very exciting to see mm -hmm. how how he will do there. Do you have any? expectations or do you have any fears perhaps of, of uh, what kind of result he could have a bit of both actually yeah I think those are those are good nouns to use mm -hmm. in in your question because when he plays well he is absolutely one of the best players in the world right now and you know we can still remember periods where you know he was 
I think a very clear number two in the world behind Magnus and uh, and uh, would pose a very decent challenge to Magnus as well. He won that tie break in St. Louis against Magnus, for instance, to win the Grand Chess Tour one year. But his results sort of from the start of COVID, mm-hmm. which I think you, you have to say that COVID has not really been kind to to, to anyone. But I think for, for Chinese players in particular, with the simply logistical challenges of of getting in and out of the country, which I think were far greater for yeah. for them than for probably anybody else uh, in the world. Uh, the last three years were very, very difficult. And I think with Ding, it was pretty obvious that uh, he was struggling to uh, repeat the, the, the absolute heights of, uh, of play that he is capable of. And... You know, choosing choosing Vike in particular as an event to return with yeah. is uh, fraught with danger because mm. uh, it's a it's a very strong field. It's also a tournament which uh, return coming back to what we began with. Yeah, it's a it's a tournament that is very harsh to you if you if you don't start well. Yeah, it's also a, a, a tournament where. Someone like him, who doesn't really, I think, socialize with other players very much, you can feel pretty lonely. It's a it's a small town. There's really not very much to do. If the weather is not kind, you know, the walks along the beach might be, you know, you you, you might actually get blown away by the gale, you know. Yeah. So so you end up sort of stuck in your room a little bit for two and a half weeks in a small Dutch town, which I like, but it's my personal preference, and you know, I. I, I don't know how much he would enjoy the same the same kind of kind of atmosphere. So, well, it's, will... it's actually, in in in, I can say that I well saw confirmed what so many people had told me years ago, that at a certain point a player is wounded, and the others they smell blood and they and they really go after you. Yeah, this this could also very much happen. Yeah, I I still feel that the underlying kind of base level of play with Ding is so high. Mm-hmm. that I, I, I don't expect him to absolutely tank, although we have seen very, very strong players have abysmal tournaments in, in Lycanze. Like Fabi yeah. at some point scored something like minus five or whatever it was. Yeah, there was one year where Fabi, uh, before the candidates, just had an absolutely catastrophic Tata yeah. Steel tournament. So it can happen, but I'm, I'm not expecting that. But I am expecting... I don't know what I'm expecting. I, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what what he can do because it's a long break it's a long break and and this is really not the easy easy kind of a welcome to back to top flight classical chess yeah well probably that was something that could easier be done uh 30 or 40 years ago but now with everything developing so quickly it's made mm-hmm. it a lot uh, tougher This podcast is brought to you by DGT, the chess innovators. DGT designs, develops, manufactures and distributes a wide range of chess products worldwide, such as digital chess clocks and game timers, as well as electronic chess boards, chess computers and chess accessories. DGT has devoted the last 30 years to innovating chess with technology. To find your nearest DGT dealer, please visit our website at dgt.nl. So let's say the, the opposition that he will face, there are various candidates mm-hmm. um, who qualified for the candidates tournament in uh, in April. Well, to begin with, we have, uh, well, if you're following the rating, there's uh, Alireza Firuja. That was a qualification that not everyone was entirely happy about. I mean, not, not because of Alireza, but uh, the, the way it happened. Mm-hmm. What is your take on that? It's another yeah. It's a it's a conversation that could take thirty seconds or thirty minutes, and uh, uh, in the end, uh, the way he qualified, like I think I will say that probably most people by this point feel that we would all be much better off if the matches just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I think the matches soured the feeling a little bit. Whereas the the tournament he scored 100% in, 
it's a bit, I mean, FIDA did create a situation where something like this was made possible. And yes, you still have a bit of a kind of a strange taste and uh, left with, you know, somebody trying to qualify by the, to the candidates by playing a somewhat obscure French Open and needing to basically win every game. Yeah, and actually, well, is, is that in fact the, the, the lesson that we should learn that don't create a situation where this is possible? They... Probably, although, you know, playing a somewhat unusual for me role of, you know, defending theater decisions, mm. I will say that they, in this particular case, I think they got punished for good intentions. Mm -hmm. uh, and there, I mean, some fault absolutely still attaches because. I happily for me, and I hope this continues forever. I have never been part of chess administration, and I, you know, I will not say it was easy to predict and to, you know, plan against something like this happening. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure some planning could have gone into writing much stricter rules about playing last minute stuff if you didn't want this to happen. Like if if your intention was to maintain some sort of uh, you know, orderly procession, then you could have perhaps foreseen that, you know, with, let's say, you enter the month of December with three points or five points separating two players. Mm. And to expect them to do nothing about it, I think, is just completely unnatural. So I think, you know, wh whatever we feel about the, the course mm. Alireza has chosen, I think... If people feel that there is a moral obligation for Magnus to participate in the cycle, I think by the same token, mm. just you know, just saying, okay, I had a horrible November, I give up, I will not try in Alireza's shoes, would have been arguably just kind of wrong. Yeah. Well, uh, other, my, my thought in general was that you sh well, probably should draw a line with let's say tournaments that you can qualify in that they should be registered before a certain period so that you cannot have as i said I, I, i'm sure i'm sure rules could have been written with slightly more foresight to prevent uh prevent egregious egregious stuff from happening yeah. but rules being what they are alireza trying as hard as he can to find something which gives him a path to qualification yeah. i think is absolutely fine i think you know, he is an ambitious young man who feels that he, you know, very much would like a shot at the crown this year. And, you know, if he just like does the sensible thing and doesn't play the Grand Swiss, he qualifies at a canter. Hmm. So in a way he got punished for, you know, trying to, you know, try not to make any concessions to his normal schedule and trying to do it, you know, quote unquote, as fairly as possible by playing everything. Yeah. So it's like if, if if you if you just looked at like the list for the first of November or the the list before the Grand Swiss started, and you kind of put a check mark next to his name, I don't think there was anybody in the world who felt it was unfair. No. He's a very exciting, very strong player who was leading by about twenty points. Provided Fabi qualified by a different method, of course, but Fabi was going to qualify by a different method, so it wasn't really yeah. in contention. So, uh, and just to return to the, the point as usual, which I, you know, due to my unbelievable verbosity, I did not finish. Fide trying to incentivize people to play, which is what resulted in this regulation being in place, because well, yeah. when you use averages over the period, somebody who begins by having a very high rating in, let's say, first month of that qualifying period is incredibly incentivized to play as little as possible because that will just give him a very, very high average. Uh, and that is also something that people, I think, rightfully complained about. People felt that uh, any system where the rating spot leads to situations where somebody just sits on their hands mm. for you know, much of the qualifying period. It's not great for chess in general. It's not a very healthy situation. No. Uh, so FIDE went into this, I think, with reasonably correct intentions. It's just that, as has often been the case with chess administration, and not just FIDE, but in general, I think chess players and chess organizers in general are kind of shockingly bad 
at predicting edge cases, mm -hmm. uh, which we have seen over the years with like the regulations for tie breaks in various tournaments where, you know, you get to the tie for first and then suddenly you realize that the regulations haven't really been written yeah. with a tie for first with more than two people participating in it. And, and then nobody really knows what to do. And all of these things can and should be written clearer. And people should at some point, like before changing things, people should sit down and actually think about what proposed changes will look like in practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm assuming it was avoidable to a degree, but uh, I, I think, you know, for a change, their intentions was, were reasonably pure. Yeah. Well, let, let's say talking about Ali Reza, you say he remains an exciting player. Uh, he, he was clearly a player that uh, Magnus had uh, a high opinion uh, of. Um, is he still as promising as he was? I mean, is this big promise, is it still there? He's uh, stalled a little bit, I would say, compared to the seemingly absolutely vertical rise that we, have, we, we, we were watching in, I don't know, 2020 to 2022, I guess, mm -hmm. that period. Uh, you can maybe say that he hit a bit of a plateau, but it's such a high, a high, you know, level at which to stall. Yeah. And he is still so young that it feels, you know, very, very kind of meh to, to say that I've been disappointed with his, you know, contribution to the world chess over the past 12 months. It, yeah. Uh, he, he should be allowed to grow at his own pace and uh, people who were maybe expecting him to already be world champion might be disappointed. I never really thought, uh, you know, in those terms, I just saw somebody who at his best was absolutely fantastic to watch and seemed to be improving leaps and bounds. And I mean, he's still 20. Uh, or maybe not even 20 yet. So, well, then let, let's look at another uh, promise, uh, Peter, another stellar riser, uh, Gukesh, who also qualified at, uh, at the last uh, mm -hmm. moment. Um, there were less complaints about, uh, about his late qualification, although, well, of course, it was a bit tragic for Anish at, at, at this point. But obviously, he is a fantastic talent and, and well, fits in the, uh, the candidates. What, what are your ex expectations uh, of him? In in Tata Steel or yeah and and further, I think uh, the kind of the, the fabled power ranking of world juniors mm. is constantly in flux and uh, despite qualifying for the candidates and generally I think having a pretty decent year I think he has perhaps slipped a, li a little bit mm. because of how good of a year some other people have been uh, have had. Uh, because I, I think at the beginning of 2023, I think most people would have been putting him above uh, the rest of the crop. If you like the conversation that we're talking there uh, involves, let's say him, uh, Prague, Arjun, Vincent, and Alireza has always been a bit of, you know, he wasn't really included in the group, right? Because it was felt that Alireza sort of has already... Uh, established himself as just a top five player who doesn't need to be called a junior. And there was this group of people who were breaking through and uh, Nordebeck, of course, as well. Uh, leaving leaving Nordebeck outside of that group would be a massive, massive mistake. And I think that list, like if, if you tried ranking them in terms of promise and, you know, who will achieve the most over the next, I don't know, three years or within the, the calendar year, I think that list will look a bit different now than it looked, let's say, in January 2023. But he is still a fantastic prospect. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm sort of not surprised and completely fine with him being in the candidates. I feel like, yes, once again, you know, a tournament was created out of nowhere to, to give him a best chance. Mm. He still needed to win it. Yeah. It was a category nineteen tournament, as as far as I, as I remember. You know, if you if you can win a category nineteen tournament on demand, to 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 qualify for the candidates, sort of 
fair play to you. I, I mean, Anish might disagree, but mm -hmm. uh, in a way, once again, I think they painted well within within the lines there. I think, of course, the Indian youngsters, this generation of Indian youngsters, are very lucky in that they live in in an era where Indian chess has enough wholehearted support that such a tournament could have been organized on basically two weeks' notice. Because in most other countries in the world, I would say, it's just like logistics wouldn't have been there, money wouldn't have been there simply. Mm -hmm. uh, so he would have maybe been left stranded just with nowhere to play. So, you know, yes, there is this element of it, but it was still just a very strong grandmaster round robin, which he had to do exceptionally well in. Yeah. And uh, once it was organized, I think there was absolutely nothing anybody could say about the tournament yeah. that would, you know, impact the results in, in any negative way. Well, there's, there's two more Indian candidates that are playing in Tata Steel. It's, uh, well, Prague and, uh, and Enfidit. Um, three Indians in the candidates, is that a bit much or is that perfectly okay? How should we look at that? Well, one, one... I think, uh, <laughs> in, what, it, like, in, in what way? I think most people would would feel that maybe like if you were a betting man at the beginning of 2023 mm. and you were given an over under on the amount of indians and in the candidates i think the over under would be at two mm -hmm. uh, or let's say two and a half yeah like because two is ambiguous yeah two and a half and i think most people would probably take under yeah and also if people were taking over they would probably be taking the younger three with like Arjun being very much in the mix and not Vidit. Yeah. But Vidit has had an absolutely unbelievable year. And with every new result, it felt like, you know, uh, winning the Grand Suisse is just not a fluke in general. Like you, you do not win a tournament like this by, by a fluke. But then he was basically one move away from playing for the title in the last round of the world rapid which i understand is a different format but still it's you know world rapid is a tournament where you you don't score this amount of points by accident and he was completely winning against for i think with one round to go maybe two rounds to go uh, a result which would have given him if i remember correctly either a tie with magnus or maybe he would have been half a point behind magnus with one round to go i could be a bit hazy on the details but he was having a fantastic fantastic tournament in the world rapid as well yeah. And he just—he was just extremely solid throughout the year. And let's not forget that he beat me in the match, right? That's yeah, you know, that's that's the, the, the that's the important that's the important result in in twenty twenty three. Yeah, what, beating, what, beating... Uh, well, well, Peter, you played him in a match classical uh, rapid mm -hmm. and, and blitz, and well, you won the blitz, and he won the classical and and and, and the rapid. What, did it teach you more about him? Did did you feel? It, is it does it make a change? Uh, a difference, sorry, that, that if you play someone and you... Yeah, I, I felt I, going into it, I felt like I start maybe as a slight underdog because I'm rusty, mm -hmm. but not a huge one. I didn't, like, I felt like I have a much bigger experience playing matches in general. I haven't really played very much outside of the World Cups, but I've just played more World Cups than him to begin with, mm -hmm. <laughs> being about twice his age. And he, I think it taught both of us things. I think he, he told me after the match that, you know, he needing to adjust to what was happening. He won game one, lost game two, came back, won game three in classical. And then the rapid and the blitz were just like a bar fight. Mm. Could have gone, could have gone very differently, but did go the way it did. I think, I think it was a very interesting, very kind of, open football type match like we were not defending very much like both of us were were kind of slugging it out every game which i enjoyed greatly i once again returning to my original statement about trying to enjoy chess as much as possible this is exactly the kind of chess i want to play so yeah. it was a very enjoyable event in that respect and no i i've i've grown very much in appreciation for for you know the, this current version of vidit he's always been promising but I think before 2023, uh, 
he wouldn't have been in very many people's conversations when you you know discuss challenging for the for, for the world title and i think he ends the year as not only a candidate but also a candidate i think very many people understand in terms of like yes yes this person very much played the kind of chess all year that will put you in the candidates so yeah i, I think he's improved leaps and bounds well, and, and probably he's, he's reaping from the immense effort that he not only put into his chest, but also in his personality, his, his personal growth. And uh, mm-hmm. I find that very fascinating, the, the, the way he did that. So, well, let's, yeah, so let, let's see. Well, let, let's look at um, last year's winner, uh, Anish Giri, who, um, I mean, he must be disappointed that he's not playing the candidates. On the other hand, well, there's new challenges uh, uh, ahead here. What do you think? Will it burden him or will it give him a, free, a feeling of freedom to, to, to play for first place? I, I really hope he, he deals with it in, in some kind of a... I mean, I wanted to use the word positive, but I don't know how, what kind of positives you can find no. in, in you know, having a candidate spot uh torn away from you at the very possible uh, last possible moment but yeah. we spoke quite a bit in in Samarkand he seemed to be in in reasonably good spirits uh he is living a you know chess is not everything in his life he, there are other things going on and uh, i think he as a reasonably balanced person who who has other things to fall back on should be able to uh to, to to deal with the disappointment reasonably well and and Vike is very much his home turf his results in Vike over the last let's say three four years mm-hmm. are stellar uh you know second only to Magnus if 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 really second to anyone mm-hmm. uh and uh I feel like he should be able to sort of rouse himself to uh to deliver another very good performance but but of course something like this stays with you and it's, yeah. it's going to be reasonably fresh. You know, he probably, you know, mid December, he felt like he should start, you know, building a team and preparing for arguably the most important event of 2024. And then that was really no longer the case. And this felt like his cycle, didn't it? It, it, it feels like anybody's cycle though, right? Yeah. It's, this is the interesting thing about the cycle is that with Ding's disappearance mm. and very serious question marks over, you know, what kind of Ding returns once he returns. And, you know, Tata still will be a very, very interesting kind of first heartbeat of evidence and uh, on that. But the cycle hasn't felt this open for, you know, quite some time, right? Because uh, it feels like whoever wins the candidates will feel very, very interested, let's put it like this, in the title match, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, which makes me realize that we haven't uh, mentioned Jan Nepomiachi yet, who um, who is definitely someone who uh, has set his sights on, on, on the candidates. Mm. If he wins three in a row, if he yeah. wins three in a row, that would be, like, in a way... You know, this is a kind of a career-defining thing. Mm. Of course, he will still feel that you know, if that doesn't result in him winning the the match, it's all for not very much. Not maybe not for not, but for not very much. But winning three three of these tournaments in a row would have would be a fantastic, fantastic achievement. And I wouldn't put it past him. No, because uh, let, let's say the, the 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 tournament that he won in Madrid, I, I thought that was so incredibly impressive. Mm. Uh, just to do that for the second time, and everyone watching, and many people hoping that you slip up, and and he did it. So um, probably we we won't uh, learn much about his chances in Vikingsape, where he generally doesn't perform that well and and it's but it's it's, also not really a a reliable indication of anything so no it it might be dangerous even to to do well Mm -hmm. another um player uh, that you played against a couple times last year was jordan von forest he um Mm -hmm. 
is the uh, the other Dutch winner, uh, recent Dutch winner, uh, three years ago. Um, what is your estimate of his chances? Uh, I mean, was that a one-off thing, or I mean, I think I think he will it will be difficult for, <clears throat> difficult for him to repeat it, but hmm. uh, you, you can never really like. I would also not bet on him doing it once, and he's done it once, so you know. Hmm. My opinion is irrelevant there. Uh, but Jordan is a kind of a very interesting case of a chess player who I don't quite understand. It's a kind of a, he remains a bit of a mystery to me, despite, you know, we played a match in uh, in Baku and we also played a game and, and I watched him play at close quarters in Malmö. He is a very, very interesting generator of ideas. I think he is one of the uh most interesting opening idea generators operating in the world today. I, th I feel like he very often has very, very unusual things to try in all kinds of openings. I think uh, in that respect, he is a, a very exciting, uh, very strong player, but he is also capable of, of playing both incredibly well and sometimes kind of poorly depending on the day. Like the two games we played in Classical in Baku, I think were a very, very clear example of that because like I, I won the first Classical game where in a position where, yes, I'm a little bit better, but nothing much is happening yet. He basically solved a self-made in five very successfully. <laughs> like uh, it, it went from what I thought was a playable and acceptable outcome of the opening to a position where I needed to calculate one line reasonably precisely to basically give mate yeah. with nothing in between. And then he won a very, very nice technical game against me with white from a position I honestly would have taken myself not to lose against most people in the world. Mm. So... Yeah, that was a very there is a, comeback. To, I mean, the way it happened. It, it, yeah. So there is a lot of disparity between Jordan at his best and Jordan at his worst. Yeah. When he plays when he plays well, he is a very, very good player. I have absolutely no doubt about that. Mm. But he also sometimes does things which don't like they don't quite make sense in my in my mind, considering that yes, I absolutely accept that he is a strong player. Yeah. <laughs> and because because I, I rate him, because I think he is a good player, he occasionally does stuff I just like I think, why is this happening? <laughs> so yeah, he is he is a bit of a mystery to me. Yeah. Well, we, we we don't have time to to speak about all the players, but finally, this is this is a, a bit too strong of a field to cover it in yes. in great detail because you, you you can't really miss out on anybody. No, uh, but let's say there's also the women's world champion playing uh, Ju Wen Jun, who um, let's say by rating she is clearly the the, the the weakest player. When she became world champion in uh, 2018, one of the things she said was that. Just like uh, Judith Polgar and Hu Yifan, she wanted to play strong, uh, well, mixed op open tournaments. What is the risk that she's... Is she running a risk of, of suffering or shouldn't we look at it that way? Is, is it a great experience anyway? I think we should trust her to know her mind best because I think, yes, she, uh, she will probably get targeted in that field because people will feel that... It, in this lineup, she will absolutely, in particular, you know, with the black pieces, but even with the white pieces, once, if and when, you know, things get a bit out of hand, and people do tend to have poor tournaments uh, every now and again. So it's not, it's absolutely not impossible that uh, she has a she has a very tough event because I mean, Vike is a very specific experience, and she will not have played in fields like this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, too much in her career. But she is a very strong player. And as to your question, we have to trust that she realizes that this is going to be difficult and she still accepted the invitation. So she feels that the benefits of trying herself against the absolute best in the world outweigh the risks of having a properly poor event, which is yeah. not impossible. I. I don't like it's not it's not nailed on. Yeah. She is just genuinely a very strong grandmaster, but she is playing against you know the the, the top ten, the top ten in the world. So it's a challenge for anybody. Uh, but if she feels if she feels she will be okay, 
Yeah. Uh, we have to respect that decision. Yeah, we simply uh, should, uh, trust her judgment in that. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. Well, um, then there's still the challenges. There's one player in the challenges that many people talk about, and it would be weird not to mention him. Sure. Uh, even if it's a very difficult subject. Uh, Hans Niemann is playing there. Mm-hmm. Um, should he play there or should he play in the Masters? Uh, what, what... Well, I mean, generally speaking, I think the people uh, who get invited to the Masters who are not, let's say, in the top 15, top 20 in the world mm-hmm. tend to be either very young or Dutch. Mm-hmm. And he is, I mean, he, he has some claim to being Dutch, but yeah. I, I think... I think not enough of a claim to to qualify by this criteria. So you know, despite despite him being very close to twenty seven hundred, I think if he starts with them uh, in the challengers, mm-hmm. uh, it's not entirely unreasonable. I think very very strong players have had to qualify through the master uh, through the challengers, and yeah, without going too much into detail uh, on on this whole topic, I will say that you know, very similar to my previous answer. We have to trust the Wykenze organizers to have weighed the, the, the pros and cons of inviting Hans mm-hmm. and to have come out with a decision that they're happy with yeah. uh, because he obviously will bring additional attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, uh, you know, a very hot property <laughs> on, yeah. on the market right now. You know, he generates column inches. He generates news seemingly unstoppably. Uh, whenever he plays, that can be a good thing. That can also be a, a less good thing, uh, depending depending on how that goes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if uh, if the people selecting the players for for the challengers feel that uh, you know they they know what they're getting into, mm-hmm. and that they they come to the decision, we have to you know we we have to assume that they know what they're doing. Do you think it might also be the start of a, a, let's call it, normalization of the situation that at some point he will, he might become a normal participant again in tournaments? Because there's so many stories that will always. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we can, you know, get anywhere near, you know, answering this question in any kind of detail to. Uh, in particular, because once again, I feel like I've overstayed my welcome here a little bit, and this is yeah, this is yeah. going longer than you expected. But yeah, it's 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 difficult to uh, to see where you know this new, shall we call it, redemption arc is going to yeah. uh, to end with uh, with Hans. I I don't think I I feel confident in in making any predictions on that topic. No, seems extremely difficult. I don't blame you. Well, then let's end with a final question, Peter. I mean, it's a a very long tournament. These players, they do not only play chess there, they have to um, relax in some manner as well. Can you give them one series that they should watch or one book that they should read? Uh, Book is difficult. There were some things which I very much enjoyed recently, but my picks are uh, a bit quirky and I... I mean, for this particular field, this might not be a very good recommendation, but I think uh, Station Eleven is excellent. Uh, you, you know, I feel like when talking to you, I need to go back to my sort of art house roots. And mm. Station Eleven, actually, this this is a very good answer because it answers both the TV series and the book question, okay. because it is a TV series based on a book, which I, you know, and I'm I'm old enough and sort of. Mm. senile adjacent enough that I only realized I read the book by about the third episode, <laughs> which is not, which is not saying good things about my mental state, but uh, it's, there are some, th- some good things happening on, on, on TV right now. Uh, and if I want to uh, sort of balance my artsy fartsy recommendations uh, with, with something with more kind of meat on it, mm. Uh, <laughs> there is a very kind of meat heavy uh uh thing yeah and also <laughs> if you haven't watched the bear watch the bear those two are like genuine recommendations those two are very very good uh yeah. but if you just want want to watch an absolute 
unit of a human being just beating the crap out of everybody and also being reasonably smart. Mm -hmm. uh, the second season of The Reacher, uh, not The Reacher, just Reacher, mm -hmm. is still running. So that's that's also something you could okay. decide to do. Okay, if one of the players asks, I uh, will pass on your recommendation. <laughs> pass it on, yeah. yeah. Pass well, it on. Well, thank you very much for your time, Peter. It was a great pleasure, as always, to to talk to you. And I'm thank you, thank you for inviting me. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.